Anybody ever in the room, anyone in the room ever find it difficult to decide what to get for your dad for Father's Day? That ever been a problem? It seems like we just don't know exactly what they need. A bunch of guys who, do they need a new tie? I mean, what is it that they need? So I looked up this week that um, searches, internet searches for Father's Day gifts, and it was ranked by state, the one that was most popular in each state. And some of them make sense. In Washington State, the most popular search for Father's Day gifts is coffee machines. That's not exactly surprising, right? In Florida, it's golf gifts. In New York, it's spa gifts for men. How many men are glad that you don't live in New York today, right? Okay, thought so. Virginia, pretty ingenious. They searched for Father's Day gifts. That makes sense, I guess. And in Illinois, some of you guys may be excited. I don't know, personalized golf balls. I didn't hear a roar of applause there yet, okay? A couple of heads, but that's it. All right. You know, Father's Day reminds us that sometimes our, our stuff gets pretty important. Our money and our stuff can really matter to us for lots of different reasons. I remember when Lily was, I think she was about four. It was time to go to school, and she was dressed, except she didn't have shoes and socks on. So I said, like, go get some socks. I got her shoes. We're going to get ready, walk out the door. She came to me, and she had these purple socks with penguins on them that don't match anything, but I thought, okay, just let it go. And then I unrolled them, and it was like she had stomped grapes with these socks. I don't know what was on the bottom of them. But I said, okay, we got to have some other socks. And I said, Lily, we just really need to throw these away. And she looked up at me with the saddest eyes I've ever seen, and she said, but they're special to me. Well, of course, they got washed and put back in her drawer, right? I mean, even little things can be really important to us. And so we value our stuff. We value our money. And I think that's for several reasons. One of them is if we have enough stuff, if we have enough money, then we can be comfortable. We spend a lot of money making ourselves comfortable, don't we? We like stuff that's familiar to us, that surrounds us, that maybe brings back good memories. We spend a lot of money this time of the year on electricity, don't we? For a reason, because we like our rooms to be, you know, not 90 degrees, okay? We want to be comfortable, and that requires money, okay? We like our money and our stuff because they give us security, we feel like if there's some kind of crisis, a health crisis, or any other car problem, house problem, if we have enough money, then we can solve the problem. It gives us security. Okay, if something bad happens, I've got enough money to deal with the problem. Our money and our stuff give us freedom. If we have enough money, we can go wherever we want to go. We can do the things that we enjoy doing. If we don't have money, if we don't have stuff, then... Other people may be doing what they want to do, and we're looking on, seeing all that, but we're not able to do it. Our money and our stuff are powerful forces in our lives, and the way we think about that shapes who we are and can even have a powerful impact on our relationship with God. Today we continue in a series that I'm calling Better Left Said, because sometimes Jesus says things that we sort of wish had gone unsaid, but, but here they are right in Scripture. And we're forced to grapple with them and forced to allow them to challenge us. And today, as we continue in Mark chapter 10, where we find several of those statements, we get to one that really does challenge us, one that and we just wish was not there. And it begins in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. 
This man comes to Jesus. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell at his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's lots of people that come to Jesus with trick questions. Lots of people who come to Jesus, and and it says in Scripture, he asked and tested Jesus. And we know those people are really just trying to get Jesus to say something that's going to get him in trouble with the crowd or with the Roman officials or the Jewish authorities, the teachers, the religious leaders. But this guy doesn't seem to be in that category. I mean, here's a guy who comes to Jesus, and the first thing he does is he gets on his knees in front of Jesus. I mean, this is an act of humility before this man that he knows has something to offer. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard that Jesus has something to say that no one else can say. And he asks this question that really is the most important question, right? What do I do to inherit eternal life? The kingdom of God, what it's all about, the big question. Jesus, what is it I'm supposed to do? And he knows that there's something new about Jesus, something he's going to give him that no one else can give him. And this is what Jesus says, down in verse 19. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Ten Commandments stuff, basic stuff. These are things that if you ask any Jewish man in the first century, hey, what are the commands that we're supposed to keep? These would be ones they would list. And so this man, I mean, he's like, he's heard this before. This is not anything new. These are the things that everyone was expected to do, so that's what he says. Verse 20, teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, when we hear that, I think some of us go, no, he didn't, right? I mean, he's like us. He's a human being who makes mistakes. He sins. He's done stuff wrong. How can he say, I've kept all these commands? But, but in the first century, men were expected to really keep this stuff, and a good Jewish male, and, and female for that matter, would, would say, yeah, this is, this is what I do. This is who I am. It's not with that much pride he's saying this. It's just... That's what's expected. Yes, Jesus, that's been my life. That's what I've done. And then verse 21. Great way that this opens up. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Just looked at this man and he loved him. Now, some people said, after you hear what Jesus says, you might want to say, I hope Jesus never loves me quite as much as he loved this man because it didn't turn out so well. But but there's something that happens there. Jesus wants to speak into this man's life, and he does. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's how you inherit eternal life. And, and maybe we want to say, well, well hang, on, hang on just a second, Jesus, because I think, I think maybe what you meant to say was believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, and then you'll inherit eternal life. Well, if we look in Acts, we'll, we'll see language like that. It's not what Jesus says. 
Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Surely he didn't really mean to like sell things and give the money to the poor. I mean, that's pretty steep. But the man must have believed him. Because at this, the man's face fell, verse 22. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, most of the time when people encounter Jesus, it's like the woman at the well where she goes and tells everybody, man, listen to this guy because he's told me everything I've ever done. You need to hear him. This guy didn't go back to town saying, man, this guy knew I was greedy. He walked away. And he was done. Because his stuff was more valuable than eternal life. Because he had great wealth. And we're still sort of thinking as we come to the end of that, Well, maybe Jesus was talking about this particular guy because he knew that this would impact him. But then verse 23 comes. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He just won't let us get away from it. His disciples are surprised in verse 24. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said it. Again, as if we hadn't heard it twice already, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we want to say, well, you know, it probably didn't mean like uh, a camel and like uh, the eye of a needle. This was a gate in Jerusalem. Some of you have heard that. And that gate wasn't there any time around Jesus. What Jesus is saying is it's like really difficult to take a camel and shove it through the eye of a needle. And that's just how hard it is for rich people to get into heaven. And we hear that and we go, you know, we know good and well that we, in 21st century America, are among the richest people who have ever lived on the face of this planet. And so it's as if Jesus is saying how hard it is for 21st century Americans to enter the kingdom of God. And we don't really want to hear that. But it goes on. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. You can't get a rich man into the kingdom of God. There's nothing we can do to make that happen. But God can. Now, it's easy to focus right there on the end of that and say, whew, at least God's at work because I don't want to hear the rest of that passage. 
And we need to hear that. I mean, we need to hear that God can do what feels like it is impossible. But we need to also remember that there is the rest of the passage that can't be ignored. That there's a message there for us. That we need to hear what Jesus is saying about our stuff and our money. And it's this. Our stuff can keep us from God. Our stuff can get in the way of our relationship to such a point that it keeps us from inheriting eternal life. It happened to that man because the stuff mattered so much to him. Now, here's the section of the sermon where, you know, a preacher should sort of like explain away everything we just talked about, right? That Jesus, if Jesus had had the benefit of a seminary education and could make a nuanced argument, then we would be able to explain why he didn't really mean that we're supposed to actually sell stuff and give it to the poor. But there's just no way to do that. Because what Jesus said was, go sell things, and give the money away. And we don't want to hear it. People in the first century didn't want to hear it. This man didn't want to hear it. But the truth is, when we begin to trust our stuff, we can trust it more than we can trust God. Because our stuff, man, it's right here. We can look at a checking account balance or an, an investment account balance. We know how much is in the bank. That's tangible. God's a little less tangible sometimes. Eternal life is a little less tangible sometimes. And all this flies in the face of our thinking that money really does give us security. That money really does pave the way for what we want. So, maybe the answer is some of us need to actually take something and give it away. Actually give something away. Because there's this, this dynamic that when we take something that is ours and sell it and give the money away or give the object away, we are saying, and this does not have control over me. As important as it is, I have the power to give it away. It is not more important than eternal life to me. It is not more important than Jesus to me. That's really hard because we got some stuff that we're pretty fond of. And I don't even mean we need to give something away and then write a check to the church. I mean, that's not actually what Jesus says, is it? He says, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. So maybe some of us need to sell something and give it to an organization that drills wells in Africa, takes care of kids in some impoverished nation or in the United States, we need to give something to the poor. Now, I'm here to tell you, I don't have this all figured out. Because this really is one of those teachings that we think, 
And wouldn't it have been awesome if Mark could have found something a little less challenging to include in Mark 10, 17 through 26? Because it would be easier if this wasn't here. But Mark was guided by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knew we needed to hear Jesus say this. And so this is going to probably look different for different families, different individuals in the room, but it's worth, it's worth praying over and it's worth a conversation. It's worth giving something up. So what would it be? What would that look like for you? Let's pray together. God, you challenge us. You challenge us more than we want to be challenged. So we ask that you would be at work with your spirit so that we'll know what to do with the stuff you've given us so that it doesn't enslave us. God, we're trusting in your power because we do know that it's easy for us to trust lots of things in this world. Money and power and sex and family and relationships and friendships and influence and position. Help us to trust you instead. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news is that God really is at work and he has incredible power to overcome what we sometimes allow to enslave us. And so we want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe it's time for you to respond to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and to be baptized in him, to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And, or maybe you've done that and you want to be a member of our church. We'd love to talk with you about that. We're going to sing a song in a minute. You can come forward and we can chat about that. Or, or maybe we can talk later if that's more comfortable to you. I'd be glad to talk with you. One of our other ministers or elders would love to talk with you as well. But we'd like to think with you about what your next steps are on your spiritual journey. If you're ready to talk about some of those things, let us know. Come forward or seek me out later. Let's stand and sing our invitation.